Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 99 of The Yacking Show. Who would believe when we started in March last year that we'd get to almost 100? Mm -hmm. This is the show for awakening you to new perspectives. And we like to talk about life, business, and more. And we try and bring you tips and ideas for the changing world we find ourselves living in at the moment. If you like our show, please subscribe to the channel you're watching or listening on, because the more subscribers we get, the more it helps our guests get more exposure. And you might be a guest one day, and you will need some exposure. As always, we have interesting guests. Today's is no exception. Another one of our international guests, but I'm not going to give the game away. That's Kathleen's job. So first, let me welcome my co-host, Kathleen, down in Waterloo. How are you today, Kathleen? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you all so much for tuning in to our show. We so appreciate you. And we love reading your comments. So please do keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, yes, we have another special guest with us today, coming to us from London, UK. So welcome, Amanda Hill. Hello, Amanda. How are you today? Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Peter. I'm delighted to be on this show and can't wait to share. Excellent. So you are a best-selling author of I Choose Me, a book that helps individuals um, heal their inner child, which we'll go into in a little bit. But for our audience, Amanda, can you tell, tell them a little bit about yourself and what led you into writing? Um, well, my name is Amanda, obviously. Um, I am a mother, a wife. Um, I have been a teacher for over 30 years. Um, but more importantly, I'm a human being. And I'm a human being, like we all have a story inside us to tell. And my story was limiting what I was doing. And it was linked to my limited beliefs and my inherited family narratives. Mm. And I decided I wanted to write a book 20 years ago and I didn't have the guts. And I did it last year, and basically it just tells the story from childhood to now about me growing up in an Irish Catholic family with three siblings, and basically how I saw myself growing up as the child. Um, I was the youngest daughter. Uh, I had a brother who was a bit younger than me, but I wanted to write it um, so that I could get over myself, quite frankly, because I realized I'm more and we are all more than our backgrounds and our family and our parents. And I wanted to shine out in the world. So actually writing this allowed me to let go of my past, let go of my hurt and then step up to being who I am today. Wow. So I'm going to ask you something and I'm going to do it very respectfully but you'll understand where I'm coming from in a moment as an older white male with a very conservative background from the a the generation I was born into and b from where I lived in the world uh the inner child thing sounds a little bit new agey but let me let me go a step further and say I've done quite a lot of reading about that so I'm not saying this is my personal uh, belief mm -hmm. or thoughts but I, I know that if I was to go out to a lot of men of particularly and some women of my generation they say oh what are you talking about you know th that's a lot of crap you know we just get on with stuff and and that would be my parents reaction from their generation so so what are you referring to exactly when you talk about healing the inner child well we all have an inner child with us um yes we're adults 
but I think we are wounded in a children masquerading as adults. Mm-hmm. You know, before it was 21, you came of age. Now it's 18. You can do certain things at 16, depending on what country you live in. But the basis is, as a child, n- not all your needs might have been met. I'm not talking about food and shelter and clothing. I'm talking about the sense of belonging, positive role models, stability, emotional support, communication, um, security in your who you are and your place. And unfortunately, if these needs weren't met, for whatever reason, everybody's got their own story, um, you develop coping me- uh, mechanisms as a child, which are perfect. I turned into a people pleaser because I wanted to belong. Um, but as an adult, those same things that you encourage do not serve you. And what they do is make you have limiting beliefs. So my limiting beliefs were I don't belong. I'm not good enough. Nobody likes me. And which is why I became a people pleaser to be liked. But in doing that, I totally forgot who the essence of Amanda was. Yes, I've got the title of being a mother and a wife or whatever label you want to put on me, but I am so much more. And it's taken me, I'm now 53. I've had 50 years to get over it. Um, And what I'm talking about is when you're a child, I don't know, a parent or a teacher might have just scolded you or said something that made you stop. With me, it was my mother. I was swinging around a lamppost, um, got filthy, dirty. She says, don't you dare do that. Look at you. My goodness, you're not good enough. And I just took that as literal meaning. And then I have, and I think this is what we do. We run narratives in our mind that reinforce that narrative every single day. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, stop it. Stop it. Acknowledge who you are. Forgive and move on. Right. Right. So, so Amanda, why is it, do you think that as adults, we continue to be adversely affected by these events? Why is it that as an adult mind, we can put some sort of perspective on the past and say, well, that was the past. That was my childhood. Why is it still in our psyche and why do we hang on to it? Because we have such deep attachments. We have attachments to our favorite emotion. With mine, I was a victim and I was living in victimhood and I was loving being the drama queen when I was on a high or it was the woe and me depression and no, leave me alone. Um, what you re- realize is that your head, which I actually thought, you know, a little voice in your head. And if you're thinking what voice, that one has just said that. Um, the voices in your head um, are the judgments mm-hmm. and they've come along from things you've heard, but you've made them your own. And I thought that was who I was and my emotions and rage or whatever was who I was. And we are not either. So what I've done is I've now got my ego, a name. And I, when she goes off, I just go, yeah, I hear you. I see you. I'm not listening to you. I choose now. Um, also with society, we are so good at comparisons. You know, you look at somebody, you go, oh, she's got nicer hair, she's got nicer lipstick or whatever, or he's got a fabulous car. We are born to judge and to compare. And actually, let's wake up. We're all human beings. Mm-hmm. We are all the same. Yes, we've had different backgrounds, different beliefs, etc. but we're all on this planet together and we should be supporting and loving each other rather than making it a competition to try and grab to the top. Mm-hmm. And it's literally coming from a sense of scarcity and lack. 
Okay. I, I've got something that's the, what you've been talking about has just triggered a question that I hadn't thought of before. And in, in British culture and to a large degree where I grew up in Southern Africa, many kids went to boarding school, mm -hmm. some from six, seven years old, right? Um, and, and they saw their parents twice a year at school holidays, um, mm -hmm. maybe a long one for Christmas of three or four weeks and a short one or two short ones. How, did, how, in your opinion, and from working with people, how has that affected the adults of our generation? Well, my mother actually went to boarding school and she threatened me <laughs> with boarding school because to me, being the person I am, family and that sense of belonging, because that's the first group you're with. Sure. And love is what we are about. And that happens or should happen from the home first. What I've known with parents that I work with now who I know have gone to boarding school, they have shut off. Mm -hmm. They actually say men shut down the mental age, emotional mental age of five and women at 12 or 13. And I find those people, because they've had to follow the rules, be regimented, do what they're told, no answer back, they have become like little robots and they are scared and they have no idea. Actually, not that they're, Well, they are scared, but they have no idea how to express themselves. And that's to do with education, not just in boarding school. Mm -hmm. We are humans and we are born to connect and to communicate. And yet, especially in this world now, with I watch ch children and teenagers on their phones and social media, mm -hmm. there's no eye to eye contact. There's no mm -hmm. conversation. There's no, you know, I know we can't with COVID, but with the hugging and all that connection that we need. And what I've realized is that although we're born for connection, fear keeps us disconnected. Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. So, so how do you help people heal this this inner child? Are there are there tips? Are there tricks to to uh, reprogramming your brain? How how does that work? You can reprogram your brain um, because your uh, ego is at the front of your brain and will tell you no, 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 and try and distract you and stop you doing thing. You need to bypass that. But the first thing for anybody is you've got to be willing to want to do it. It's like anything. Nobody can make you. It's your choice. And I personally was so fed up of my suffering because pain is mandatory, but suffering is optional. Mm -hmm. And I'd lived in suffering and, you know, worn the coat and loved it. And I was just so tired because I had no energy left I was burnt out I gave everything to school I had nothing left for my family when I got home and I was so unhappy and empty so I said no right went along I do some mirror work so I've done this with people if you're with a partner it's great you just sit in absolute quiet and stare at each other's eyes and through that connection for at least 10 minutes you actually release a lot of tension and you realize you're so connected if you're on your own I've done it my self with mirror work and then what I've said to people so look at yourself and looking in the mirror some people have look at this look my eyes look wonky or and you have a criticism hold that criticism and say it out loud and say all your negative thinking out loud and I've done this in a work group and then I say imagine and they're feeling pretty rubbish about themselves and I said now imagine saying that to a three or four year old child mm 
Mm-hmm. And that shot stops them because I said, but you would never do that to a child. And yet you're doing it to yourself every day and you're doing it subconsciously. Mm. The older you are, so I've been at it for quite some time, um, and you're having to change your language. So words like, and I know I've used them in this interview, should, could, would, must are all ones that show you that there's an expectation and there's a demand. And if you don't meet it, you're a failure or something. I do think failing is actually important. I think fail is the first attempt in learning. And I love, I won't let rubbers in my class. And I say to the children, you learn most by doing, and if it goes wrong or it turns out another way, wow, look what you've discovered. And yet as adults, we want it to look perfect. We want it to fit in. I think we've been all put in boxes by programming, by society, by advertising. And it's time to lift the lid of the box. If you're brave enough, it does take courage and delve in. No matter, I mean, some people have had very traumatic childhoods and, you know, that can be dealt with with therapy, et cetera. But it's more important to think I am wounded and what's coming out of my mouth to other people are my wounds from my childhood that when the needs weren't met and I haven't got over it, I haven't let it go. Very interesting. I'm going to switch direction a little bit before we run out of time and ask you about your book. Your children, you've written more than one, your children's books. Yes. <laughs> Tell our audience about your books. Well, I'm passionate about children and family. I'm an ELSA, which is an emotional uh, literary support assistant at mm-hmm. school. So I work with children that have difficulty settling in the classroom. They might have anger issues. And I was looking for books about emotions and all the books I came across, the emotions weren't actually seen. They were part of the child. Mm. And with my discovery, I want children to realize that you are not your emotions. So I created Meet the Moot Munchers, um, that one here, and I've created very colorful characters um, that children can interact with because emotions are like uh, a roommate. They come in the front door, they do their thing, and then they leave. But what I also admit Irish Catholic family, lower force emotions like shame, guilt, um, depression. We don't like to talk about them. Mm. And I've made these fun characters. So Rue is shame and Gil is guilt, they're best friends. Um, And I want to, from the age of three, start talking about these, introduce them. I'm, I'm creating toys for them so I can do role play. And that we can talk about how we're feeling, it's absolutely, there's no right, there's no wrong, it's just how it is at this moment. And if you accept that, the emotions change. But I realized with anger, because I was told girls don't get angry, um, I had repressed a lot of these feelings, you know, inside, Mm -hmm. and they do come out later on in life in different situations. And that's about healing the inner child, all those wounds, emotional wounds you have, and thoughts. Right. Right. So, so you say that fears, our fears keep us isolated. What do you think that the fears surrounding the coronavirus are doing to people right now? It's, it depends if some people run on fear. I don't anymore. And I'm pleased about that. But I have to say, I haven't watched the news since it started because I switched on the day and all it is, is doom and gloom. Mm -hmm. There's very little out there celebrating the good, the love, the connectivity. Mm -hmm. 
And what I've realized is that they love sensationalizing things because that gets the viewers. Um, And they're actually locking into people's fears and using, manipulating them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you have the uh, adverts for sanitizers and all things like that, which is all well and good. But you think, oh, my goodness, I've got to go get that or else. And it's all that. And it's the programming. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so if you are a person that's, you know, prone to anxiety and worry, and I was like that, I used to worry about the future and regret about the past. But I just, that's when I made a decision. No, because I have a 13 year old son and I do not want him repeating my emotions and taking onto his life. He has his choice and I can lead by good example by showing up who I am, which is actually joy and love. Mm-hmm. I got one that's been running through my mind since you've been talking. If we go back, I don't know, 10, 15 years, there was mm-hmm. a sudden spate in the media, and this was before social media. Uh, I was still in Africa, but there was a number of cases where psychologists and counselors uncovered hidden abuses, and it was mainly in mm-hmm. women patients who suddenly realized that they'd been sexually molested by their stepfather mm-hmm. 20 as a kid. Yes. Obviously, some of those were genuine. I'm not disputing mm-hmm. many, many of them may be genuine, but there was also a number of high-profile cases where people were led through absolute hell, men in particular, fathers, families broken up, and it was later proven that there was no abuse no. whatsoever. That was all planted in the girls' imagine, and it was mainly girls, some boys, in their imagination by the counsellor. So that sort of counselling got a bit of a bad name through that. Yes, yes. Uh, have we seen a lot of improvement since then? I think so, uh, because... I think we have to admit that it's been out there. It's probably mm-hmm. always been out there. We think it's more now. It's just because we've got more access to media. Sure. Um, I think it's good that it's been uncovered, but there's a choice in everybody's life. You know, those therapists who are there to help people, I don't know, they're in the wrong job. They mm-hmm. shouldn't be out there doing mm-hmm. that. But it's also sensationalizing it, you know, getting sure. the big head ha- headlines. Yeah. And actually, any sort of abuse is traumatic mm. and it's personal. And it actually takes a lot of vulnerability linked with courage, because I don't think vulnerability is a weakness. I think it's pure courage to actually admit it and get steps for yourself. And it would be uncovered if it wasn't true. Right. I know it's um, unfortunate for the people, you know, hold my hands up there. That must be dreadful if you've been wrongly accused. But I think we're past that now. Mm-hmm. I think people are very much aware of it. Children are taught safety measures, etc. Mm-hmm. at school. And we now know it's not like when I was little that you kept it inside and don't let the next door neighbours know what's going on. We are out there to talk and there's nothing to be ashamed of now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a follow-up. Sorry, Kathleen. Can I, while it's on my mind, a quick follow-up one? Um, given what we were talking about boarding schools in British culture, particularly mm-hmm. and, and in North America to a degree, but not as much. Given how distant most parents were in when I was a kid, so it was 50, 60 years ago. Um, are we seeing much better and more open communication between parents and kids now? And is the problem of the wounded in a child diminishing? Or, as you said, with this lack of personal contact and this uh, reliance on electronic stuff, is it, is it getting worse in a different direction? So, sorry, there's a whole lot of questions thrown into one. No, I understand. I actually had a, um, a friend's child who was 15 going on 16. She came to stay with us and she went to boarding school for a couple of terms. She met friends. They are so much more sociable 
in the schools now. They have clubs, they can mm-hmm. go out, etc. Um, but it all comes down to your family. And whether my passion is for children, I suddenly thought a few months ago, Amanda, it's not about the children. It's about the parents that are mm-hmm. teaching or, you know, parenting the children. And that is my audience because that's why I say we all have a wounded child, various degrees. It really doesn't matter. But acknowledging that so that you're not transforming it. And I'll give you an example. When, I, when Alessandro, he's now 13, was about six or seven, I asked him to get some milk from the fridge. He went, it's not my fault. I can't find it. And I went, I just asked you to get the milk. And then my husband said, I said, why did he say it's his fault? He said, Amanda, do you not realize that's how you've been talking to him since he was born? And I didn't even know. (laughs) And it took it coming out of my child's mouth to actually stop me and go, oh, my goodness. And that's why I can't all this shame, guilt, despair. It's not carrying on. So. What advice do you have for people living in fear? And I, I mean, I have a family member. Um, she's now in her 80s. And my goodness, mm-hmm. she has lived in fear her entire life. Well, I mean, fear of the dark, fear of lightning, mm-hmm. fear of elevators, fear of being alone, fear of you name it, fear, fear, fear. And at this stage, I'm thinking, chances are th- things are never going to change at, at this stage of her life unless she she has to want to right because I tried to do that with my own mother and I realized who am I to think I can fix my mother she's perfect as she is but what you're saying about those fears there sounds like there's some abandonment or issues there that she's scared of being alone and in the dark and afraid so something happened along her childhood that triggered that and then it's just she's owned it and made it become herself. Um, we are so scared of our fears that we don't talk about them, and especially that generation, you didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, listen, the best thing is to talk about it, whether it's to a stranger, whether you're a child, a teacher, or a friend, because a problem or a fear shared is halved. Once you show a fear the light, you act, I love my fears now. Even st- coming onto a show like this, I was like, oh, I couldn't be good enough. That was my old limiting beliefs running. Yeah. And I've stopped it. And it is, I'm not going to, like, it is very nervous. You're literally standing at the edge of a cliff thinking, jump. And while they're going one, two, three, jump, you're going one, two, three, jump, 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 jump. <laughs> oh, oh, no, I'll just do it again. But jump and free. It's only your mind that's keeping you trapped. Your heart just wants to be love, joy, and connect. Right, right. So the first step you would suggest is always is talking and saying and or and if you if you don't want to do that, write it out, journal it. I have a vomit journal. Sounds a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Call it my friend VJ. And basically, <laughs> if I've had um, a bad day, and let's face it, nobody's perfect. You have up and down moods, and with children, if I've come across irritated. I journal it all out. I get it out of my head so that when that night is all done, I don't bring it home to the family and it's done and dusted. And it's once you're writing, and I mean, pouring it out, nobody sees it. It doesn't matter what language you use. You just get it out because it's all that repression that's keeping us locked in that fear. My goodness. Oh, as, He's got a formatting journal. I love well, it. Well, I don't call. I don't call it that. I don't call it that. Okay. I call. I call it my gratitude journal because I. Oh, I love the gratitude journal too. Yes, definitely. 
it's my little morning routine amongst others there's five things i'm grateful for 10 things that were good in the last 24 hours and like tomorrow we spoke to amanda and um and then i just write between one paragraph and two pages which would yes. be your equivalent of your vomit journal yes. things things that are irritating me or things that i discovered or whatever and and it's i've been so doing that for years i've been yeah. doing it for years i think having structure as i say the mind needs formation and structure so i have mm -hmm. my morning routine but your soul sings with joy whether you say soul spirit essence it really doesn't matter how you label it and you to be that joy you need to get over that mind and so i have i do meditation in the morning i do journaling in the morning i do exercise i'm not great on the exercise so it might be dance around the kitchen um and then i scan my environment what needs sorting out because also we have a tendency to hold on to things mm. just like our emotions that we don't need anymore. Right. So let it go. Excellent. Well, we're yeah. almost out of time, Amanda. My goodness, it's been a delight having you. How do people contact you and how do they get a hold of your books? Um, well, I've got a website coming out in April called youchooseyounow.com. Uh, my name is Amanda Hill Ryle. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. And um, my books are on Amazon. So there's Meet the Mood Munchers, Ah, Let Me Out, which is about anger, and Just Her Jumps. What was the second one? Ah, Let Me Out. Oh, let me. <laughs> it's okay. that rage you want to feel, but you can't because you want to look good. We all want to look good. And the last one? Jitter jumps. So jitter, jitter is jump. my fear oh, yeah, character. Okay. So he's all shaky. Okay. And and your Amanda Hill Ryle. Hill Ryle on Facebook and Instagram. Yes. Okay. I'll find them, put those links in there for you. And your website is youchooseyou.com. You choose you now. Now. Because it's see, now read, you make the decision. .com and that'll be already in April, correct? Yes, definitely. Okay. We'll put all that on there for you. Great. Thank you very much, Amanda. I was going to ask Kathleen's permission if I can share my my inner child, hurt inner child music story because it oh, really ties into what you were saying. In a nutshell, I, as I said, I went to British type schooling and in standard 10, you'd understand that terminology instead of grade, we had a very fierce English teacher named Mrs. McLeod, Scottish lady, and she <laughs> was delegated to take us for music and singing. And on the first day when she heard my weak attempt at singing, she said, and these were her words, Peter Wright, you're absolutely useless. You will never mm -hmm. play a musical instrument. You will never sing and you'll never read music. So next week, bring a book, sit in the corner. You're disturbing the rest of the class. That was a, the sole uh, occurrence of my music learning in the whole of school. So I went 50 years believing all that. Yeah, and do. Then, As a child, you believe what you're told. Yeah. I was told the same. And it wasn't until I became a teacher and I had to do music. They have to test your voice. So I went, I Sing. I was told by Mrs. Webb. See, I still remember there her you name. Go. You remember her name, I yeah. can't do it. <laughs> and they said, test me. And they said, well, that's just nonsense. And But it's amazing because children, you know, they're born for love and accept. They just want yep. to love you. So he, that's why I became a teacher. I was told at school I'd be lucky to get a job sweeping the streets oh, <laughs> because I couldn't read till I was nine. Because in those days, I was at school in the 70s. 
it was bored and chalk and listen. Mm -hmm. And I'm not that sort of learner. I'm a kinesthetic learner and I am a visual learner. And why make sure every day when I show up in my classroom, I work out what sort of learners I've got in front of me and I adapt what I'm teaching to meet their needs. And if they don't get it, it's not the child's fault. It's the fact that I, say, I get them to say, if you don't understand what I'm saying, to say, Mrs. Hill, please put it in another way. That's not rude. It's fabulous. And mm -hmm. then I get to develop myself more to help you more. Well done. Very good. Yes. That's super. super. So I, I understand a little bit of what you're talking about. Well, I understand <laughs> a lot of what you're talking about, but I had personal experience of a little bit. But the, yes. the end of the I story I think lots is, of us have. Yeah, the end of the story is at the grand old age of over 60, I needed a huge goal. And I, for various reasons, I didn't want to run any more marathons. So I said, I'm going to learn to play guitar, which I can now do and read Brilliant. music. Brilliant. So, Yay. Mm, prove Mrs. McLeod wrong. <laughs> yes, you were always capable. Everybody is always capable. Sure. Yeah, that's that's enough from me, Amanda. Sorry, I'm stealing the show here. No, and it's, it's your delightful. words of wisdom we our audience want to hear. So for me, thank you. That was wonderful. Yes. Thank you so much, thank Kathleen you. and Peter. Wonderful having you on, on the show. Thank you so much, Amanda. And thank you all so much for tuning into our show. We appreciate you and we love reading your comments. So please keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being on our show, once again, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And until next time, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.